look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. Thanks for joining us for another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. Uh, you know, Andrew, when years ago when we put this show together, uh, when, when we were asked to put a show together, what, what we didn't want to do is just do another kind of finance show, lots of those kinds of things. We wanted to put an educational piece together, educate people about all manner of investing and uh, the issues and risks around that and lifestyle. So just you know, beyond investing. But today we've got a terrific uh, guest. Uh, with us today, and it's going to further this notion of education for investors, and that's Kathy Engel. She's the Vice President of Strategy at IROC, and IROC is the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. That's our regulator uh, as industry guys. Uh, first of all, Kathy, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Great to be here. Well, and we love when you guys join us. Uh, as our national regulator, I think uh, you, you do a fantastic job of, of not only ensuring the protection for Canadian investors, but also uh, you take a very active role in educating people. And there was a piece of research uh, that you guys had done uh, recently and had published, and it caught, it caught our attention because it, uh, it would indicate maybe that um, there's a lot of Canadians who don't feel very confident um, investing and it can be for a number of reasons one of which is educational but i'd like you to maybe just address that if you could uh, just in the sense of how many canadians um you know are not investing right now were you surprised by it absolutely we were and what we heard you know probably the biggest thing that we heard from the research was that too many canadians aren't investing today because yeah. they say they feel the la that they lack the knowledge and the confidence. Right. And that's really important because we all need to help Canadians build financial stability. It's critical for the future of Canada's economy. And hearing directly from investors is really important to us. It's something we do regularly. And I can give you a couple of stats, quick yep. stats for you from, from the research. And so it's, it's clear, as I said, that lack of knowledge and confidence present real barriers. 49% of the people we surveyed said that they don't invest today because they don't feel they know enough about it. So effectively, mm. they're taking themselves right out of the game before they even start. Right. 60% mm -hmm. of them don't feel confident in their ability to make investment decisions. And over 60% again say they don't know what products and services are available or even where to go to get information and advice. And you know, what's really important to this uh, for context is in this research, we surveyed what we call aspiring investors mm -hmm. for the very first time. And aspiring investors to us are people who say they're interested in investing, but they haven't started yet. And they made up about a quarter of the people that we surveyed. Yeah, and these are not young people either. No, no. And, and so what we learned about this group, the average aspiring investor is over the age of 40. They have a post-secondary education. Mm -hmm. Nearly half of them are in the workforce today. And really interestingly, I think almost a third of them are retired. Wow. But this is the group that say they're not investing. Right. And I you know, I think this is really concerning because Canadians need to know what advice and services are available to them. 
because, you know, it stands... To, sorry, I don't mean to... No, no, keep <laughs> going. That's fine. Yeah, no, no. I, it, this is a conversation, but I was going to jump in. I was going to say, you know, part of what I was thinking about as you were saying that when I was reading the research is um, with fewer and fewer defined benefit pension plans that people have access to, um, you know, it, it more and more the onus is put on individual Canadians to make some of those choices, those investment choices, whether it's even through a defined contribution plan or, you know, you're working with um, some, some advisory channel or doing it yourself. So I was shocked by that number as well. It's critically important. I agree with you. And the more people that can access advice, the more they can then feel empowered to save and invest for whether it's their retirement mm -hmm. or any other financial goal that they have. So this, this was concerning for us, and I think there's a lot that you know, many of us, many different organizations across Canada can do to help. Let's talk about that. Um, one of the other, so there's, there's two sort of veins I want to go down here. We'll, we'll talk about education. One of the other takeaways when I was reading through the research is uh, there was a number of people, uh, of categories within the research that felt they couldn't afford advice, and I want to talk about that mm -hmm. as well. So one, on the one hand, I'm perhaps paralyzed a little bit because I don't even know where to start or I'm not educated or don't feel confident enough to know where to start. And then the other is, well, if I don't and I want to engage somebody to help me with that, I don't actually think I can afford it. Let's start with educational because I think that's a, that's a key component where we can build confidence. People um, can learn about even the right questions that they need to be asking you know, our industry when engaging for specific services. So tell us a little bit about sort of IROC's um, um, uh, archive or library of material to help people get educated and build that confidence. Well, I can tell you that what I would say and what we would say at IROC is that advisors are actually, IROC advisors are the best place to start right. um, because IROC advisors have to go through education and mm -hmm. training and they have the knowledge and expertise to help. And it's, you know, that's the place where everybody should be asking every question that they possibly have, right? Yep. And being as open as possible about what they need and what they're concerned about. Yep. But if they're not connected to an advisor and want to learn more, you know, we really encourage people to check out our website, which is www.iiroc.ca. Mm -hmm. We've got quite a few tools there that people can check out, and one of them specifically is called our Advisor Report, which will help them learn more about advisors that they might be considering working with right. or if they're mm -hmm. already working with one. But there's also all sorts of places that they can check out that have more information about education and financial literacy. And I think that's uh, I think it's important, Andrew. I think... Um, Individuals need to take some responsibility for this. I often talk mm. how deep you want to go, how much you want to learn, and if you want to be a do-it-yourself or is a different proposition than if you want to educate yourself around what do I, you know, how do I understand what my goals and objectives are? As Kathy said, I want to be clear on what I need, and then be able to just confidently ask the right questions to determine if you're with a, an individual or team that could do that. Well, and and not to mention just looking at it like. A layman coming in looking at the, these numbers are they're quite shocking. But right. I think for me, it's it's looking at saying, hey, is it um, because we're barraged by so many different potential channels that we could do it, whether it be online or going in front of an advisor or doing something else, um, um, in order to grab grab the the knowledge and the the interest for some people to do that. And, of course, the barrage of products that have come on over the last few years. Yeah, and Kathy, just your comment on this, because um, when I talk to people, um, just in general terms, uh, there's a fear 
there's a lingo that we use, and I suppose that's true in every um, in every job, every career. But it can be intimidating, right? We've got to, as an industry, I think, do a much better job of learning to speak English to people about, you know, <laughs> you know what they're what they're asking about and and how you go about achieving those things. But I would like your comments on on you know that that industry responsibility that we have to actually make it understandable. I think that's a really interesting point. And you know, back when I started in the industry, I, I was an advisor myself and yeah. lived that experience firsthand. And I can tell you at IROC, it's something we've been working on for quite some time. We've, we refer to it as our plain language yeah. uh, initiative, and we have spent quite an effort to try and simplify our rule book. Uh, for certainly investors, but also those we regulate, you guys mm-hmm. included, yeah. yep. to make it easier to understand, you know, what, what the expectations and the standards are. Right. And that's one way that IROC is is working to do that, to make it easier for people. But I agree with you. I think everybody plays a role. We don't need to use acronyms all the right. time. <laughs> we don't need to try and make ourselves sound smarter. Right. It's mm-hmm. important to meet people where they are and have the real conversations that people are concerned about. Yeah, I think that's, um, uh, that's such a critical part. We're, we're quickly running out of time, Kathy. It's very difficult to do these kind of big topics in 10 minutes, but I think we've, you've done a terrific job of helping people understand a little bit about the role that the you as a regulator play and where you can get some resources, and that the industry is actually here to help, right? It's yeah. right from the regulatory perspective. We're trying to uh, educate people about what their options are. We're, tr- as, you know, the plain language, or as I say, speak English to people about their about their objectives and goals, and ensure that they're informed about their strategies, the good, the bad, and the ugly around what risks they're taking. All of that stuff is is incumbent upon us to uh, to do a good job there. Uh, I want to congratulate uh, IROC. You guys are doing a fantastic job, and I want to thank you for taking some time with us on the show today. My pleasure. Thank you very much. We've been joined by Kathy Engel. She's Vice President Strategy at uh, IROC, which is the uh, Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada, our regulator. Okay, my friend, um, we've got an upcoming seminar, and we do this every single month. And in large part, it is an effort to educate investors, particularly people who are transitioning to or living in retirement, about how things change when you move into that withdrawal phase of your life and how you need to structure your portfolio to protect against shocks on the downside. Yeah, and that's coming up at the Hamptons Golf Club on Tuesday, January 21st at 7 p.m. If you'd like to register and visit, um, give us a call at 966-8400 or at morethanmoneyradio.com. All right, don't go away. We'll be hearing more about a potential surprise that could cause additional taxes for your estate after the break. Here on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. And Faisal, there's an interesting problem that we run across with with some regularity uh, in Calgary because of some close connections to the United States through oil and so on and so forth. But an interesting situation arises from an estate perspective when um, you have an executor or perhaps beneficiaries of your estate, like your kids, for instance, that have moved down to the United States. You live here and they, they're living in the United States. Yeah, as more and more people decide to... Um go where the jobs may be or have their lives uh, away from their parents, um, a lot of times they end up in the United States. And that Mm -hmm. can cause a problem when when you, as a Canadian, are planning your your estate plan. In the event of of your death, what happens? Who does the money go to? And who takes care of those responsibilities of executing those those uh, those requests? Uh, they're known as an executor. Uh, can, can become very complicated the minute you be, your your selected beneficiary or executor is an American. 
Yeah, or living in the United or States. Or living in the United States. Right? So this is a complicated issue where I'm not sure we're going to do justice in 10 minutes. But, and, and, and the rules aren't necessarily black and white. Correct. So we've got a terrific guest to help us try to understand um, some of the issues that we need to address and face if, in fact, you're in that situation. Max Reed will be joining, with us, uh, joining us just shortly. Um, he's a cross-border tax lawyer at SKL, uh, SKL Tax in Vancouver. Max, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, guys. Great to be here. So let's try to make some sense of this, Max. Let's maybe start with um, this notion of an executor. What happens if um, I'm living in Calgary and uh, I've got a child that moves down to the United States that is my executor in my will? Well, <clears throat> there's a couple of tax problems you have to navigate. The, the first is that if, under the Canadian tax rules, your estate is considered to be managed from the United States, then the administration of that estate gets a lot more complicated from a Canadian tax perspective. And the second issue is, is that from a U.S. tax perspective, the U.S. tax rules might consider it a U.S. estate, which makes it even more complicated. So the, the general rule of thumb is, if you're, um, is that you should try and have a Canadian resident executor where you can. So we go, our choices are, it's complicated or more complicated. <laughs> that, that's the general rule with cross-border tax issues. You, yeah, you get to choose complicated or more complicated. <laughs> okay. So, um, again, we don't have a ton of time here, uh, but I would like to give um, you to give us, our listeners, uh, a sense, because we have uh, clients in particular, and we're yep. thinking of a couple, that are now facing this situation. The child's moved down to the United States and is the executor. What... Um, if, if it's not practical and they don't want to change the, who the executor is, what do they need? What planning can they do in advance to be just on the complicated, not the more complicated side? Well, the, the simplest thing to do is to ask a friend um, to be the executor instead of using their kid who's moved to the States. Right. If that's not an option, then what they want to do is make sure that the kid after the after the second spouse passes away yeah. make sure that the kid does all of the estate administration while physically present in Canada and documents that <laughs> and and the reason that's important is that it prevents the estate from being considered from being managed not in Canada if the person doing all the work to manage the estate the executor the US kid in this particular instance is in Canada at all times so so that should solve the problem but again that could sometimes be impractical because mm -hmm. you know kids have lives and, and families and whatever and they're not necessarily going to be able to fly to Canada and do all the work in Canada but that is the technical solution to this issue okay um, fair enough so we've got that situation um, is that a residency issue is it a citizenship issue so child moves to the United States is a resident of the US is it difference if they're a resident or a, or a, um, uh, an actual citizen become a citizen of the US or is it just where you're actually domiciled at the time you're doing the work it, it's actually not where you're domiciled where you do the work or where you're a citizen or a resident of it's actually where the estate administration takes place hmm. Right, so so you could have someone who lives in Norway, and as long as they're doing, and who's Norwegian has no connection to Canada, and as long as they're doing the estate administration physically in Canada or gotcha. wherever they are in Canada, then the issue is resolved. But again, that becomes a little impractical given that you know people have lives, etc. 
Yeah, and it might be expensive to be flying back. So the <laughs> advice is yeah. give, get advice and figure this out because there's multiple options. And like Dave said, either it's complex or more complex. More complex. <laughs> um, what, about, what about beneficiaries? When it comes to people who are putting their children or loved ones in their will to receive assets and you're an American or you're living in the United States, what's the impact there? Yeah, for, for a straightforward will, um, meaning that there are no trusts created in the will, uh, the actual impact on the beneficiary is reasonably limited. There's some paperwork in the U.S. the beneficiary has to file if they're receiving a request from a Canadian estate. But uh, otherwise, that's generally it. Where so that's, Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Max. No, no, I was say, where, where the complexity ramps up a lot is is if in the in the Canadian will there's a trust formed for the benefit of the U.S. child, and that's that's where all kinds of you know complex cross border tax issues come into play. But where you have just a straightforward will um, and and bequest leaving money to an American kid who is not the executor, then uh, you know there's some paperwork to file, but it's generally okay. So it's this notion of trust, if I understand correctly, Max, that really gets things complicated, right? The notion yeah. that it could be a Canadian trust um, dealing on a cross-border basis in, in any number of different ways that you've just described that creates these problems, and you're trying desperately to try to avoid that. If somebody falls afoul of, um, of this without proper planning, give us some sense of the problems that they're going to they're gonna face. I assume you're talking about the residency of the executor issue now, yeah. not the beneficiary issue. Yeah. Yes. Sure. Let's yeah. Let's start there. You bet. So, the the residency issue, like if your estate's considered to be a non-resident, uh, that the problems that that triggers are are sort of twofold. So one, um, if you if the estate's trying to sell a piece of real estate, uh, there might be there might be some withholding. Uh, the buyer may have to withhold tax on the real estate sale. If the estate has investments, there might have to be tax withheld on the investment on the investment income um, earned earned by the estate. And then in the United States, what you don't want is you don't want under the U.S. tax rules for the estate to be considered a U.S. tax resident because then the estate would have to pay U.S. income tax on whatever income it earns. And again, like all of these problems by and large, are navigable if you have the right accountant to help you. But it just increases the complexity dramatically of administering the estate, right? Um, and slows everything down. And so for a smoother ride, we generally recommend, you know, making sure that the estate is resident in Canada by either having a Canadian do it yeah. or if the non-Canadian resident is going to do it, make sure that, that that person is doing it while physically present in Canada, Got it. Got it. I think that we're, we're running out of time here, Max. And as I said, I'm not sure we could do justice to the whole thing, but I think that there's some key takeaways. But before we sign off, let me thank you, first of all, for your time and your input. It's valuable. I know this is a confusing and complicated area for a lot of people. So thanks for joining us. Thanks very much for having me. We've been joined by Max Reed, who's a cross-border tax lawyer at SKL Tax in Vancouver. Um, boy, if you didn't take away the, the notion of, of, of thinking through this, planning this, right, if you've got cross-border connections, yeah. um, you weren't paying attention during yeah. this segment, right? Yeah, complex it's, and it's more complex. complex are not, those aren't great choices. You, but. You've nailed it when you said complex or, or more complex. And that's, and you can't control where your, where your kids go. They, right. they go to the States and, 
and they're living there and they're building their lives or their careers and and all of a sudden you're you're now faced with making decisions about your own estate because of that 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 choice and so yeah. you need to get the advice you need to get the help um don't don't bury your head in the sand on this one because it can get really really problematic yeah well you get the sense that there's some real tax issues that you could run afoul uh, of and create some problems for for ultimately your executor and nobody's gift to their family is tax problems and paperwork right and all those issues yeah, so it's a pain it's a pain that's right that's a pain. so the legacy bucket is a is an important piece i work on that on our team all the time now it's one of the pieces one of the four buckets that we talk about in proper lifestyle and retirement planning and we're going to we're going to cover all of those buckets at our next seminar, which is coming up on Tuesday, January the 21st, uh, 7 o'clock at the Hamptons Golf Club this time. I hope you join us for that. Give us a call at 966-8400 to register for that, or you can go online uh, at pkag.ca. Now, stay tuned after the break. We'll be talking about some tax strategies to take advantage of before the end of the year. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back to 770 CHQR and More Than Money, and uh, here we go. We're ready. Here it comes, tax time. Yes, it is. Okay, this is the fun part because not only do you get excited about saving people on taxes, not only do I get excited, but there's one guy that I know that really is passionate about saving people on taxes. Uh, he came to Calgary, was it last yeah. month? Last month we saw him, it was great. He gave us the presentation of his tax tips, went into a little bit more detail of what we as advisors can help our clients with more on, so I really like that piece. And, and so he's a regular contributor to our show. Jamie Golenbeck is the Managing Director, Tax and Estate Planning at CIBC Financial Planning and Advice. Jamie, welcome back to the show. Pleasure to be back. So in this city, in this province, we have a lot of business owners, individual, private corporations. Um, let's start there, 2019 year-end tax tips for business owners. What should they be aware of? Well, again, we always do year-end tax tips, especially for business owners this year in light of the changes we've seen in the last couple of years. So uh, there are major changes to the taxation of Canadian-controlled private companies, or CCPCs. The first, of course, is the changes to limit the ability for a business owner to do income splitting. Basically, it says that if you're paying your spouse or partner or children uh, any kind of dividends from your corporation, in most cases, that income will be taxed at the highest marginal rate. That's what we call split income or TOSI. Now, there are a number of exceptions to that particular rule. Obviously, if the um, individuals are working in the business more than 20 hours a week, that's fine. So what we're saying is before the end of the year, if your private company has shareholders like a spouse, partner, or any other adult relatives, you want to be very, very careful before paying a dividend at the end of the year to them. You want to make sure you look at your share structure and determine whether or not um, you want to be paying dividends to those kids or to the spouse if they're not involved in the business. There may be an opportunity to speak to a lawyer or other advisor to do a restructuring of the business. There are exceptions for certain types of companies that if you own more than 10% of the votes in value, you may be able to stream some dividends there. You've got to be very careful. And in particular, if you've got a child who is under the age of 25, you've got to be very careful because there's an age 25 test and therefore, if they are working in the business, you may want to defer that um, you know, uh, until after 2019 if they turn 25 next year. The other big, of course, change to private companies uh, deals with passive investment income. The government did not like the fact that you could accumulate uh, all these extra assets inside your corporation that you're not using for the business. Effectively, what they said is starting this year in 2019, you will lose access to the small business deduction a ratio of five to one for every dollar of passive income above fifty thousand dollars. 
So one thing that you could look at before the end of this year, December 31st, is if you're trying to keep your investment income in your company below $50,000, are there ways to reduce the amount of income to be able to stop earning the investment income in the corporation? One way to do that, of course, is continuing to maximize RFPs and TFSAs. Uh, we've been big fans. We've written separate reports on this topic of every business owner should be maximizing her RFP and her TFSA, taking money out of the company, contributing into those tax-deferred, tax-free plans. That takes money out of the company, not subject to investment income. Other strategies that are a little bit more complicated, things like individual pension plans, which effectively is a defined benefit plan for the business owner, even corporately owned exempt life insurance. Again, these are both strategies, a little bit more complex, that allow you to take some of the passive investments from your corporation, move them into a tax-sheltered environment, and therefore maybe keep below the $50,000 passive income limitation. So a bit of change is happening there. So people need to get that advice and sit down with their advisor, potentially a tax lawyer, to get this figured out because we're running out of time. There's only four weeks left in the year. One thing you mentioned when we were when you were in Calgary, Jamie, was about charitable donations and how they differ for corporations who are making donations versus individuals. Let's start off with the the whole. Let's let's educate our our listeners about what's the what's the opportunity for making charitable donations as an individual, and then how can corporations also donate and make that a bit better for them as well. Well, sure. I think as most people know, when you make a charitable donation as an individual person, uh, you get a tax credit. Now, you get uh, federally credit at 15% on the first $200. Anything above that jumps to 29%. Anything above $200 a year, even 33% if you're in the top bracket. Top of that, Alberta gives very substantial credits uh, when it comes to charitable giving. So effectively, you could be getting back you know, over 50%, depending on how much you're giving each year to charity. When it comes to corporations, uh, a corporation doesn't get a tax credit. It gets a tax deduction. So a corporation could deduct from its income uh, the amount that it donates to charity. One of the things that I like to talk about in the month of December, we get close to the end of the year, is when you're looking at your portfolios, hopefully you've got some winners in there, some stocks, some bonds, or maybe some mutual funds that have gone up in value. This is really the big opportunity, whether you're an individual or a corporation. Now, the rules are a little bit different, but if you're an individual and you've got appreciated securities, consider making that year-end gift by making a gift in kind. Not only will you get a receipt equal to the fair market value of the securities that you're donating, but in addition, you will pay no capital gains tax on the entire appreciated gain we donate in kind to charity. Now, with a corporation, if the corporation has some marketable securities that have appreciated in value, you get what I call a triple benefit. Number one, the corporation gets to deduct the amount of donation from its corporate income. Number two, the corporation will not pay tax on the accrued capital gain. But number three is the best. The corporation will get a credit to what's called its capital dividend account. And that would then allow that corporation to pay out that amount in future tax-free as a capital dividend to the shareholder. So again, lots of great opportunities there and something that people need to think about before December 31st, particularly on an individual basis. And for a corporation, of course, it depends on the corporation's year in, but many are December 31st. So something to think about now as well. So Jamie, what you're saying there is if you're an individual out there and you want to make a, a, a charitable donation to whatever cause that, that you you feel endeared to or passion to, that you shouldn't write a check if you have capital gains. 
Well, absolutely correct. And I was amazed at the number of people that really don't realize this. The opportunity to make a, a charitable gift. Uh, most major charities are well set up to accept gifts of securities. It's actually very simple. It's one or two pages of uh, paperwork. You scan it. They'll walk you right through the process. Very easy to do. All I do every year, and this is how I make 100% of my gifts, is at the end of the year I look at my biggest uh, appreciated security, and I just tell my advisor I want to donate this much of it to charity. Then what I do, of course, is I take the cash that I was going to give to the charity, and I buy back that security. So there's no superficial gain rule. So effectively what's happening is I'm bumping up the adjusted cost base or the tax cost of my securities back up to fair market value. Jamie, you gotta, I, w- I wish you were here. No <laughs> Jamie, I wish you were here because you got to see Andrew's face on this one. He's got <laughs> like ear-to-ear <laughs> smile. This guy is so yeah. happy right now. You just said triple benefit for corporate owners and in-kind donation. This guy's getting excited right now. It's great. <laughs> well, it's yeah, exciting I, stuff. But unfortunately, people do not know, and they're not taking advantage of it. So I would say, look, as a rule of thumb, if you're given substantial amounts, like anywhere, I don't know, over a thousand bucks a year to a particular charity, please speak to your advisor about making a charitable gift in kind. And if you don't have any gains in your portfolio, it's time for a new advisor. Because we hit <laughs> record highs, record highs, record highs last week, right? In the stock markets in Canada and the US. Yeah. So that's that's so now let's we've got about a minute left. Uh, let's go through three tips you can give individuals uh, for the year end that they can they can do, do right away to help them with their tax situation. Okay, obviously, uh, number one, if you do have some losses in the portfolio, maybe you invested in the cannabis sector recently, uh, maybe you want to do some tax loss selling, use those losses against other gains. Uh, number two, of course, if you turn 71 in 2019, hopefully you've done so already, you've got to convert your RSP to a RIF or to register an annuity. Most people choose the RIF option. You've got to do that by the end of the year. And then uh, finally, I would say there are certain expenses that need to be uh, paid by the end of the year if you want to claim a deduction. And I'm thinking like uh, interest expense, if you borrow money for the purpose of earning investment income or business income, you want to write that off, you want to pay that by the end of the year. Similarly, if you've paid uh, investment counseling fees or investment expenses for non-registered accounts, make sure you pay those by the end of the year to get your tax deduction for 2019. Jamie, thank you so much for all your help, and we'll bring you back on next year to give us the tips for what we can do for 2020. You got it. Thanks again. We've been joined by Jamie Gollenbeck, Managing Director, Tax and Estate Planning, CIBC, Financial Planning and Advice. As tax is an important piece of overall lifestyle and retirement planning, we're going to cover that topic in all the four buckets on Tuesday, January the 21st, 7 p.m. at the Hamptons Golf Club to register. You need to call us at 966-8400 or go to morethanmoneyradio.com. Stay tuned after the break. We'll be hearing more about some of our favorite tax strategies You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back to 770 CHQR and More Than Money. And Andrew, we just spoke with Jamie Golenbeck, and he gave us his views of some of his tax tips. I want to spend some time with you because on our team, you and your financial planning group really spend a lot of time on the tax side of things. It's a real indicator and issue when it comes to people transitioning to or living in retirement. Well, a lot of things change over that time frame, Faisal, it's not just about the money you're getting or where it's going to come from. It's how much you're going to pay in taxes. And taxes are a huge issue that we have simply because it's the largest line item 
that you're going to pay um, through retirement. retirement. Yeah. And so, you know, we've got some great things going on with income splitting and other things that the government has given us as, as tools for retirees to move forward. But now it's how do we make sure that we, we use those tools and other tools that are in the tool belt um, to take advantage of situations that some clients may have? I want to use the next few minutes for you to open up your secret sauce. Okay. Uh, and what I mean by that is there are a lot of things that you use at uh, within the tax code here in Canada that have been able to substantially save on people's income tax through retirement. Let's talk about one idea. Let's give the listeners and the viewers some indication of one idea that we've been using with our clients mm -hmm. that has saved a boatload of money. We're talking thousands of dollars in tax savings by doing this one simple strategy, and it's called the prescribed rate loan. Let's give the idea what it is, how does it work, and how do you save money on it? Well, a you know, so humorously, um, I, I know of a few people that, you know, always sort of giggle every year when they, f they get their taxes done because, hey, the prescribed rate loan really works for them. Perfect. It's a great thing. Yeah. So let's, let's be humorous. So if you're an individual in a high tax bracket, it may be beneficial if you have some investment um, and then you can push that off to a family member, whether that be a spouse or a child. An adult child. Um, and they can take on that investment for them because they're in a lower tax bracket. So we're talking about money outside of an RSP and a TFSA. That's right. Okay. You're, you're basically, if I understand what you're saying is, let's say you have $500,000. I'm making up this number mm -hmm. here. So you have $500,000 outside of RSPs and TFSAs in your name, and you're the higher income earner. Because what Canadians have done over time is, as you've saved, you just put it in your name and you've invested it. Or you've, put, right. it, or you've put it in joint name and you've invested it. Or you've just had it, um, you know, company options, whatever else. Whatever it may grown be. Grown yeah. over time. Whatever so, it may be. So you now right. have all this money, and any income that you make, either it's interest income, dividends, or capital gains, you're being taxed at your higher tax rate. That's your right. significant other or other members of your family are at a lower tax rate than you are. You can literally use a prescribed rate loan, which is a loan that you can give to that individual. They have to pay you interest, and the current interest rate... 2%. 2% is what they have to pay you. And any income that's made off that portfolio is at tax at their rate. Yeah, that's right. But you have to remember, there's a couple reasons for doing this. One, of course, if you just lent the money or, or gave the money to a family member, there's what you call in the income tax code as income attribution. Yeah. So you, if you just gave them the money, then what could happen in that particular point is that income would get attributed back to you, whether it was interest or dividends. Um, you'd have to pay that tax on it at your higher rate. By lending the money to a spouse or family member um, through this pre prescribed rate loan, mm -hmm. um, it avoids the tax attribution rules. So at the end of the year, whatever amount of money you lend, in this case you used 500000 as an example, yeah. um, that would be 500000 times 2%. will give you... Yeah, $10,000 $10, yeah. um, in interest that your spouse has to pay you the higher income earner. On the flip side, the spouse or family member now can claim all that income in their name moving forward at a lower tax rate. At a lower tax rate, capital gains, all that comes into play. So it's a way of shifting 
the income mm -hmm. to somebody else. Yes, you have to pay a little bit, but um, there's benefits behind it. So this is an opportunity for Canadians to shift the income tax burden from a high tax rate to a low tax rate. And there's procedures. So get your tax advice, sit down with your accountant, sit mm -hmm. down with your advisor, and go through this. If you've got money outside of RSPs and TFSAs, and you and your family member or significant other are in, are in different tax rates or different income levels, this could be an opportunity. This is also an opportunity for you, those who have um, money outside of their RSPs, TFSAs, that they can they can use that money at a lower tax rate to fund their children's education, Yep. private school, hockey, whatever's expensive for these kids, because trust me, we both know mm. these kids' activities are friggin' expensive. Um, this is an opportunity for individuals to use the tax code to shift the tax burden away from the high income tax earner to the lower income tax earner. This is a great opportunity. Now, this rate, that 2% we were talking about, um, is up till March... Uh, March of 2020. Yep. Um, so it might change. It may go up. It most likely would stay the same. Could go down. Okay. But uh, be aware that um, you have up till uh, beginning of March of 2020. Yeah, and to, the government will let you know in in, as long number. as you're in contact with your account. And, right? and once you've locked in that number, that number sticks. So if it's 2%, it's 2%. So if interest rates were to go up, it has no effect to yeah, you whatsoever. It's for life. Yeah. For life of the contract. Perfect. Okay. So again, get your advice. Think about that. We've got about two minutes left, Andrew. Yep. Individuals... Um, have tax rates changes happening. What's going on there? What can people get, kind of take away for 2019 and 2020? Well, and that's a key thing. 2019 and 2020, you have two situations that really key, 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 in, uh, key in for me, Faisal. And one, of course, is if your income is high in 2019, you expect it to be lower in 2020. Yep. There may be some options for you. And same thing for the verse. If your income is lower in 2019 and you expect it to be higher in 2020. So let's start with lower, okay. uh, going to higher. So if you're in a lower income bracket this year and you expect your income to increase in 2020, um, what can you do? Well, perhaps maybe you can uh, if you can take interest income or, or uh, capital gains, push them out. Um, so excuse me. Take them now. Take them now. Yeah. Simply because if you take them now, you're taking them in a lower income year. So you may want to consider doing that. Um, if there's bonuses potentially possible for you, See if you can take them this year versus next year, because if you're stepping into a higher bracket, why do that? Why pay more tax? Why pay more tax unless you have to? So there's there's some levers, as we like to call them, yep. where we can pull them back and forth to do something. It's so going to be a little bit more So if you know valuable. your income is going up next year, mm -hmm. then the planning needs to be done now. That's right. And the opposite, if you know your income is going to be lower next year, what do you do? Well, if it's going to be lower, then think about all the investments you have that you could potentially be taking a capital gain. Maybe it's better instead of taking it in 2019, we push it off to January of next year or beyond. Yeah. That's totally up to the individual or, yeah. and their tax uh, and situation their, and, and their advisor. But, uh, you know, that's one option. Another option, if you have stock options, RSUs, items of that nature, maybe you want to push those off, not take them this year, push them off until next year. Again, once again, deferring income into a lower income year. Makes sense. Reduce your tax bill. Um, this is this is key now. So what, what? Why I want to bring this up is that tax planning is not a calendar year by calendar year strategy. It is. Oh, multiple, it's a sport. It's 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 a multiple. <laughs> it's a sport. I love it. You love this stuff, don't you? Um, it's a multi-year 
strategy. It's not Absolutely. just 12 months by 12 months. So sitting down with your accountant, your investment and financial advisor, your wealth planner, all collaboratively working together is what's going to help your tax situation. Dealing with your taxes silo from your investments can impact your tax situation. It can. And so this is where when you're when you have assets, when you've accumulated some wealth, you need to be aware that you you're going to be paying tax. You're mm-hmm. going to be paying tax. Taxes but taxes are inevitable. When They're and how happen. much is what the planning comes into play. Well, this is exactly it. Then we look at even more tax advantages when you retire and move along the line. So there's always an advantage somewhere along the line. We yeah. just have to figure out what that is and, and uh, attack it. Attack it. Love it. Okay, Andrew, thank you for filling in for Dave. You did a great job. Love that you're here. Thanks for your, um, your information on the prescribed rate loans and uh, how individuals can protect and profit in the tax situation uh, going forward. Uh, we're going to talk about tax. We're going to yep. talk about profiting and protecting. On Tuesday, January the 21st, we'll be hosting our next seminar to talk about all of the tax topics and proper retirement and estate planning. Join us at 7 p.m. at the Hamptons Golf Club for our kickoff in the new year, our first seminar of the year. And you can reach us to register at 966-8400. Uh, you can go to morethanmoneyradio.com. I want to thank you for joining us today on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.